This is episode 11 of the Remix Your World podcast with Ben Brummerhop. Welcome to Remix Your World. I'm Allison Kalagna, global DJ and music producer turned life remixer and personal growth coach. In each episode, we bring you real talk, inspiring stories, and heartfelt conversations of personal transformation to help you uplift and amplify your life. This is the Remix Your World podcast. What's up, world? It's episode 11. I'm Allison Kalagna, and today I'm talking to my big brother, Ben Brummerhop. He's not really my brother, but he's kind of like my brother. But he wasn't always. We got really close, and we got really close by a pretty powerful story that involves my music and his art and his transformation. I can't wait for you to hear this story. It is so inspiring. He inspires me every single day. I love our relationship, our closeness, everything that has come out of his transformation. It's just a really powerful story. I can't wait for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's just get right to it. And here is Ben Brummerhop. So if you are considering joining CIJ, these will be the last two classes that I will be offering for the rest of the year. You need to jump in and jump in quick. You will hear me talk a lot about CIJ in this podcast and what a difference it's made for me in my life and what a difference it's made for some of my students. Um, So if you're in a place right now where you're figuring you want to just upgrade, up-level, remix, and rework, then I highly encourage you and invite you to join me on a powerful eight-week journey through self-discovery. You can find out all the information about CIJ at remixyourworld.com slash CIJ. If you want me to text you, text the words summer CIJ to 44222. That's summer CIJ, all one word, to 44222, and I'll text you all the information. I hope to see you in class. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, yeah. Just a heads up, if you are new to meditating and you have no idea where to start and are looking for a little guidance, I've got something for you. I produce something called the Mindful Mixtape and I'll send it to you. It's five guided meditations led by me all put to music. If you are interested in downloading this, text the words meditate now to 44222 and I'll send that to you now. Or you can find it at remixyourworld.com. Yo, check this out. Artist Ben Brummerhomp's work is both deeply personal and universally relevant for both artist and observer, reflecting vibrant rhythmic energies that vibrate with contemporary aesthetics and timeless themes of crisis, perseverance, and human and artistic triumph. Brummerhop's work tells his own journey while also traversing the paths that mark the struggles, growth, and liberation we all strive towards every day. Brummerhop's canvases are rooted in Midwestern ideals of forthrightness and carefree creativity born out of his time spent painting in his youth with his great-aunt Evelyn. Those beginnings grow in his work to become contemporary statements on rebirth and beauty that reflect his own story as well as the stories within each of us. Even today, with nearly 400 works in private and public collections, Ben still relies on Evelyn's palette knives, her primary tools of choice, to bring forth the memories and philosophies that are the building blocks of his modern-day work. Those works have been showcased at the Madison Museum of Contemporary Art, the Overture Center for the Arts, and the prestigious Michael Murphy Gallery in Tampa, Florida, among others. His early group shows quickly led to solo exhibitions and numerous commissioned pieces now prized by collectors who value and share his creative voice and vision. Brummerhop's most personal and acclaimed collection, A New Use for Syringes, was the sole subject of a seven-city tour. Conceived in 2010, Syringes recounts the artist's battle with drug addiction and features 79 pieces painted using syringes, marking Brummerhop's personal triumph over the instrument of his near demise through transforming the tool of his despair into a metaphoric brush of artistic confidence and creative expression. Syringes concluded its national tour at the critically acclaimed Voices of the Warehouse District in Dubuque, Iowa. 
Today, Brummerhop primarily works with individual clients, building personal relationships that lead to commission pieces reflecting the artist's belief in the power of art to transform homes and perspectives. Limiting his commissions to less than a dozen per year, he collaborates closely with his clients to create personal masterworks that provide meaningful statements and deep resonance to the spaces they inhabit and the lives that they share. Brummerhop's work can be found in collections traversing the globe, Marriott Hotels, Ameriprise Financial Group, the University of South Florida, Credit Union National Association, and Dean Health are just to name a few of the corporate collections where his work now has a home. In addition, his art continues to be a prized part of private collections in both the United States and abroad. Well, hello, Mr. Ben Bromerhop. Well, hello, Allison. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's so, it feels so formal to call it you. It does. Instead of, hey, flavor. <laughs> totally. Can we be professional for this? Or? I think, well, I mean, I'm never truly professional, but you know. Yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> How's life in San Diego? It's beautiful and sunny, as always. Oh, yes. It's hot and sunny right now in the Cato Rizzle. Oh, it is? Yeah, it's pretty nice here. It's a nice breeze and probably 82, 83. Yeah, no, there's no breeze happening. <laughs> <laughs> Up here on the mountaintop. <laughs> no breeze. Well, I'm happy that you are having a conversation with me today. You know, you are one of my most favorite people in the entire world. Well, I feel the same about you. You are my flavor. And not only that, but you're an amazing artist. You have a show coming up, which we'll get to in a minute, too. I do. Yeah. So, but before we get to all of that juiciness, like, let's tell the, tell the people, like, how, how you and I even met. Because that's... That's like the story of transformation, which is like cray cray. It blows my mind every time, you know. So like, okay. let's let's bring it let's bring it back because what this is what I remember. So I'll be curious of what you remember because <laughs> probably two different memories. But I do remember getting an email, yes, saying you had a gift for me and that you were a fan, yep. and could you meet me in Chicago? And we met at little hotel lobby at that hotel majestic before i played at hydrate yep and that is when our you shared your story of, of how that all came about and that's kind of how our little love affair began yeah so we had um i have had known you loosely on the dance floor through previous years and then um, after i went through uh, struggle with IV methamphetamine use and started my recovery. One of the things that was taken away from me was um, my ability to paint and my ability to enjoy dance music. Mm. And those were two huge things in my life because at that point I was a full-time artist mm. and a part-time dancer, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> like the dance music made you want to use kind of like, is it like a trigger in a sense? Well, what it was for me was my studio was a trigger. Okay. Because I had basically never painted sober. Wow. And so going into my studio, so years. That, um, I started using IV, I think at that point, probably seven years. Okay. Got it. And so usually my painting story looked like this. I would go in my studio, I would put on my favorite dance music and then I would get high and I would just paint for days at a time. Mm. And so when I got clean, um, going to my studio was a trigger. Listening to that music was a trigger. It made me want to get high. It made me want to get high. That was just like the overwhelming thing that kept coming to me was this makes me want to get high. So I can't have that. And so my studio was dark for about a year. Mm. And then, um, I was trying to find a way to reconnect with my art and with my life and with my happiness. And I discovered this beautiful old person, old name that I recognized, Alison Kalagna had these released these podcasts also in sensual. Mm -hmm. And I bravely listened mm. and sensual one kind of got my groove back. I would say two led me back to my studio 
and three probably saved my creative life. Um, Cause I don't know if I would have had the strength to enter that studio in a quiet environment. So your mixes sensual uh, were what led me back to my creative space and opened me back up to loving dance music and loving my art and loving myself. And that's pretty much the story of how <laughs> that came about. It still trips me up to hear that. I mean, not only because a, it's like, you know, as an artist, we always, when we make stuff, we're always like, Oh, is this good? Is this sucked? Is this, you know, all the stories that go on in our heads. And for me in particular around Sensual, I had no intention of ever releasing any of those. Those were for me and my private use only, you know, like it was music that I couldn't DJ. I couldn't play it out. It was so melodic and trancy. It would just wasn't really stuff that worked for the circuit scene. Yeah. No fan popping going on. No, there was no fan. Well, we didn't have fans back then, but, um, but I remember Jen at the time, my partner at the time saying to me, this is so good. Even if only one person gets something out of it, you have to put it out there. And so that is like so trippy to me because I can remember her saying that to me and me being like, all right, I'm just going to put them out. I'm just going to put them out. Yeah. And like nobody yeah. had ever really, really commented about them, you know, until I got your email. Was yeah, like, and kind of like they were just on the website, just always just like there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and how and how that transpired to my emailing you and meet and going to Chicago to see you and and present you with the gift, which the I which is I can see it right now. It's yeah, I can see it. <laughs> see it behind you right now. Um, so another story, kind of leading up to all of this, was. Um, I had to get blood drawn and I went to the doctor to get blood drawn. And at that point I had been sober for two years and I wasn't thinking anything about it. It was this like liver and kidney test, whatever I'd done them before. I'm not scared of needles, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so I go to the doctor and the nurse put the tourniquet on my arm and I lost it. Mm. I started sweating. I turned white. I got up and I left. I walked out and I didn't realize until I was almost home that I still had the tourniquet on my arm. Oh, and I went to like a dear friend of mine named Keith Huey, uh, one of my close, close friends and a fantastic artist and said to him, at some point I'm going to have to have blood drawn. I have to figure out a way to be able to reassociate syringes with something in my life because eventually I'm going to be old and need them. <laughs> or what if I have an accident or what if I become diabetic or, you know, there becomes this need for me to use syringes for what they really were intended to be used for. And Keith said to me, why don't you paint with them? Mm, well, okay. I did. And I did to the tune of 79 paintings. And <laughs> those 79 paintings were part of a national exhibition of my work called A New Use for Syringes. And you have painting number one from, mm-hmm. a new, from Syringes because the entire collection was painted listening to Sin Sensual. Oh, oh, <laughs> cry. It's right there. Yeah, so painting one had to belong to you, so I had to find a way to get it to you. And I was living in Madison, Wisconsin, which is very close to Chicago, and the universe sent you to me via Hydrate. Mm. And so at that point, I wasn't even brave enough to go into a club. Mm. So you remember, we met at your hotel. Like, yeah. I didn't go to Hydrate. Like, yeah, I remember. I it was at, the little, at Hotel Majestic in the Little yeah. Lobby. And it was probably even a couple years after that before I went to a bar and actually saw you. Wow. Because it just didn't feel like a safe space for me. Yeah. Wow. So can, do you remember what it felt like? At, okay, so if that was painting one, like when you were finished with it, what did that feeling feel like after you saw? Like, okay, here's a new use for syringes. I just painted this. Yeah. So 
I think the the collection was painted in a progression of what I felt like my first year, my second year, my third year, my fourth year, my fifth year. Mm -hmm. This was a celebration of my fifth year of sobriety. And so the last painting in the collection is a purple painting called The Fifth Year. Mm -hmm. And it has very little syringe work on it, where if people see the painting behind you, it's covered in syringe work. And the fifth year was like super clean and almost no syringe work, kind of just to celebrate that cleansing. And then I went and started doing the shows and it, it was incredible. I mean, the people that reached out to me, the people that, you know, thanked me for sharing my story. I met mothers of addicts. I've met addicts. I met husbands and wives and daughters and sons and Mm. uncles and nieces and nephews. Everyone, you know, seemed to connect to this story and it, it touched a lot of people and it was crazy. I wasn't really prepared for people to connect with it. At first it was about healing myself Mm. and then it slowly turned into uh, much more than that where I started doing, um, um, for every, the cities I did an exhibition in, I would do, I would go to a rehab, rehabilitation center and spend two days painting with people currently in recovery and teach them how to paint with syringes. Wow. And I remember the first one I did was at a DACO in Tampa and mm-hmm. my good friend Carrie set it all up and I went and I didn't really know what I was getting myself into because uh, in walks this group of people to create with me and some of them had only been clean for days. Mm. And so I was trying to like, whoa, I mean, that's day, day three is a big day. <laughs> and for them to be in a space with me and, and touching syringes and, and, and creating, it was, uh, it was a really beautiful um, part of the whole story. And I loved it. Wow. So, yeah, it was cool. So who were, you know, you talked about Keith, Keith then. Yep. Who in your world were, you know, part of your allies for your um, sobriety? So my former partner, Jason, mm-hmm. uh, was probably, I mean, not probably, he was definitely the most key person in my life uh, for my recovery, for what happened after my recovery, for even portions of my life today um, mm-hmm. wouldn't, wouldn't have been without him. Um, the biggest catalyst is probably the death of my sister. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that was a huge life-changing event for me. And were you still still using then or you were already in sobriety sobriety? No, my sister died in 2003 and I got sober in 2005. Okay. And so it was even two years after she passed, Mm. but, um, it, it always weighed on me. Um, you know, the passing of my sister was due to cancer, you know, and, and here I was electively killing myself. Wow. Yeah. And so I watched my mom, you know, just go through torture, watch my niece and my nephew, her children, uh, who were devastated, of course, at this loss. And, you know, my mom still hurts today, I think every day. And so I, I just decided that, you know, if I was going to die, it couldn't be um, because I, I was being selfish. Right. Wow. And I wanted more. You know, I wanted to be more. Yeah. Do, felt, do you remember the moment that you were like, I can't, like, when, like the turnaround moment, like of like, fuck, this is it. I have to really remix. I got to change. Yeah, I, I absolutely remember it. Um, my nephew, who you've met and you love, um, I, I was with him one day and, and I just thought to myself, what, what am I giving him? What am I teaching him? What am I offering him? Um, you know, what does his future look like if I remain being an addict? Like if I'm a hot mess until I die, what opportunities that give him and how does that honor my sister's life? How does that honor her story? And so I couldn't allow myself to carry on that way for my niece or my nephew. You know, my niece was much older than my nephew when my sister passed away, but still she was 16, Mm. you know, and my sister's funeral was the first day of her sophomore year of high school. And so I had these two beautiful people looking to me for guidance 
and I was a hot mess. <laughs> so it was for my niece and my nephew. I had to, I had to be able to look at myself in the mirror and, and be an example for them. Wow. Yeah. I look at now. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> I mean, my, 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 uh, my life is very different now and it's, it's very good. I love it. When you decided to get sober and you started painting them, do you, was the urge still to like, how does that work? Tell me, you know, like in the mind of, of that, do you still, did you still feel the call to like, you know, want to, to shoot up to, you know, like what goes on in that when it's, when it's been that much of an addiction for you? Well, you know, uh, what's really, what's really crazy is I, I never had a relapse relapse moment. Okay. Um, I I got clean and I stayed clean, mm. and and that came from just my personal determination that this was not right for me. Mm. You know, there was nothing good coming of it, and I just once I made the decision to move forward, I just kept moving forward. The scariest moment in my life <laughs> as a sober person mm. was the first time I, when Jason and I unfortunately separated mm. the first time I lived by myself. Okay. Was the first time I ever thought about getting high. Mm. And it was because I lost that person to be responsible to. Mm-hmm. Um, I could disappear for three days and no one would even know because I, I just lived with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was probably my, my only real scary moment. But going back into my life, um, I just had to reintroduce myself to things slowly. Mm. And that meant people, places, things, music, art. All of it had to be, you know, really calculated. And, and I had to make choices. And some friends had to go away. Yeah. You know, some things had to go away. Mm-hmm. What do you think the hardest choice was in letting um, things go? Besides, obviously, the obvious addiction, but emotionally and or outside of the actual addiction. Um, I had a dear friend named Wendy mm. that, uh, and she has since passed. And um, the hardest thing for me was telling her that I could no longer be her friend because her current addiction state and mental state at that time was really not healthy for me. Mm. And so we had been dear friends for like 15 years and had experienced so much of our youth together and our life together that um, not being friends with her was very hurtful. Mm. I also think admitting to my mom and to some other close people in my life that I was shooting up, Mm. you know, I I mean, you know me on, on the outside, I presented as someone you know, that didn't fit the stereotypical role that people would say, oh, that's a junkie, that's an addict, that's a, Mm. you know, that's a person. Everyone assumes that, you know, what you see on TV is real life and that every addict looks the same and it's, and it's easy to see and it's easy to identify. And so a, a really hard part for me was admitting to my inner circle that I was shooting up. Mm. Did then did nobody know? Like nobody had the the sense. Were you were you that good in a sense where nobody knew, or did people suspect? I mean, people knew that I did drugs. Okay, people just weren't clear on delivery method. Got it. Yeah, and so it was it was funny because a part a part of the show, I started writing these blogs, hmm. and you know me, I have like absolutely oh. no. <laughs> It's like what comes to mind comes out of mouth. You know, it's it's just an illness that I have. So <laughs> just imagine me sitting down in a public forum and speaking freely. <laughs> you know, that's some anxiety-inducing shit right there for people who are in my life because who knows what I'm going to say? I mean, it, you just never can tell. <laughs> so I started blogging, and some of the blogs that I wrote started revealing more and more about my drug history. And I would get calls and texts from friends for like, say what? <laughs> you know, they were just shocked that this was going on in my life. They knew I was a user, but, you know, remember back in the day, people were like, oh, I'm a weekend warrior. 
Right. You know, I, I party on Saturday and Sunday and then I do my nine to five and, and that's how I started my addiction. And then, and so it was like, I'd party Friday night and stay up till Sunday. And then it became start Thursday night and it's game Wednesday night, Tuesday night, Monday night. And then I just started waking up every day and doing drugs. Mm. So it was a gradual progression, but I started doing drugs like, you know, uh, marijuana, hallucinogens, acid when I was like 13. Mm. So how long have you been no meth? No meth for 12 years. Wow. Yeah. And it's crazy when I think about it because uh, when I stopped doing drugs, I'd been doing them more than half of my life. Mm. And that's sad. Mm. You know? I mean, and, and, you know, and I, I guess it's not sad. It is, it is my story. So it's not sad. It's somewhat tragic that I would go to drugs at such a young age, but you know, whatever. <laughs> do, you <laughs> Just, now, do you now know why you went to drugs at such a young age? Are you able to have peace with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it, it was, it was interesting because I started smoking pot with friends and then, you know, that just kind of led to other things. Um, and it only led to other things because I was so open to it. Mm. Um, I had uh, other friends who did drugs and, you know, I saw, I didn't see any harm at that young age of me experimenting into it. And to be honest with you, like I get some flack even in the drug community because, um, you know, I, I am, I'm not anti-drug, right. you know, I'm anti-abuse, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I think that people can find a balance in their life and, and, and I have friends who still do a lot of drugs mm-hmm. and, and, and they're not my close friends they're not in my inner circle, but they are people that I know and I know they do drugs that I can't be around, right. what I know about myself is that I can't be that person. Right. You know, I, I'm, I don't have the ability to be that person. Right. But there's an acceptance of like, I know this is here. I'm not going to judge you for it. You do you. I'm going to do me. Yeah. Because one thing I try to do in my life is not be closed. I don't want to be closed. And if I, if I, if I get to a point where I feel like I can be a judgment passer, then, then I need to like get off my throne and Mm. come to the real world. And just be open to experience and loving people and allowing people to be whoever they are in my space um, as long as they respect the guidelines that meth is off limits. Mm. Yeah. Because wow. that was my thing. That was my jam, girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so 12 years. So then how long did it take you to do the show then? So when did the show, when did you start traveling with a new use for syringes? So it was the, it was to celebrate my fifth year of sobriety. Okay. And so it launched at Michael Murphy in 2010. Okay. And uh, so I'd been clean a couple of years when it was conceptualized. But as you can imagine, you know, creating 79 paintings is several year process. Huh. Yeah. I know what um, it takes to write a song. I'm like, wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's a lot. But I went in the studio and all of that year worth of not creating mm-hmm. came out of me like someone had cut my juggler. I mean, it just flew out of me. And so it was like crazy. And, you know, that show was like so personal and the stuff that I shared <laughs> on the blogs and stuff, I, I, I'll, maybe I'll read you one, you know, during this chat that I did to my mom that I think people could probably get some perspective from, but uh, there was a lot of uh, healing and a lot of growing and a lot of uh, redefining and a lot of judging. Oh gosh. I look back at everything and everyone of my art of your art. Okay. I have friends who have pieces of my work that are old and I go in and I'm like, can I please fix your painting? (laughs) Still to this day, you'll still stay still. Like I have one friend who has a painting that I've like tried to sneak paint and brushes into his house (laughs) and like take the painting in the bathroom and fix it. 
And he's like, no, I will murder you. That is a part of the history. It's part of the thing. He's like, no. Yeah. So now when I go visit him, the paintings aren't there. He hides them <laughs> because he's scared that I'm going to take them and paint them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So talk to us about your creative process then. So is it obviously you have to start with a blank canvas, literally. Yeah. What so, is how I know what it feels like when I start with a blank canvas of, you know, in Ableton or in Logic and I'm like, what you know i get an acapella for a remix or something but still everything else is like blank and i'm just like okay like there is that moment of like what do i want to start with what do i want to do what do i want it to sound like what do I, you know all of that dialogue that goes on all that noise <laughs> for you as you know with paint yeah so i mean i've yet to find a thing more intimidating than a blank seven foot by seven foot piece of canvas. <laughs> it's like, you know, I've, I've done some pretty scary stuff in my life, but still nothing as intimidating as a seven foot by seven foot blank piece of canvas. Um, for me, I'm inspired by so much in my life with my art. Like um, I love geometrics, you know, so sometimes I will start paintings with uh, geometrics, hardline geometrics. And my work, as you know, is, you know, sometimes 20, 25 layers. And so it's just a building and a building and a building process. Mm. Um, and so I, I usually start with, um, I have, <laughs> someone reviewed my work one time and said, I brought new meaning to the word color palette. <laughs> And I never knew if that was a compliment or not, but I absolutely <laughs> took it as one because I'm like, not everyone can use it's a girl blue. I mean, it's a girl pink, <laughs> it's a boy blue. Like, but I'm down with that jam. Like, I will totally, <laughs> use that word. I'll use those colors in a minute. And so I start with just crazy colors in the backgrounds because I know it's not going to exist in the final piece. Mm. Uh, the stuff I'm doing right now is um, really inspired by the ocean. Mm. And by land and visual things. And I've, I've never been that artist. Okay. But my like best friend in the whole world, Paula, mm. um, she, she set up her new office and she wanted a painting of the ocean. Mm. And we spent a year looking for one. Mm. And then finally one day she looked at me and she's like, why don't you just paint me one? And I was like, girl, I don't paint oceans. Like, <laughs> Even a sailboat in it or a palm tree, like, no, that's not who I am as an artist. <laughs> and so she's like, no, I want your ocean. Right. Do whatever you want, but these are the colors I love, and so do whatever. And so I did, and I loved it. Mm. And so then I started getting into that. And you know me, blue is like my color. That's my jam too, Everything girl. Everything in my life would be gray. Blue, gray. Gray or blue. <laughs> And so for me, it was like oceans, mostly blue. Yay. <laughs> like I'm down for that. Right. So then I just started uh, uh, living in kind of that space. So this show I have coming up mm -hmm. in Wisconsin is called New Horizons. Okay. It's really the most, um, the most inspired work I've ever done by something real. <laughs> okay. Right. So, yeah. Like I, I never had painted cows or people because I didn't want people to be like, that doesn't like a cow. And mm. I'm like, shut up. It looks like my cow. <laughs> so I just avoided painting anything real. Mm. And so this is the first time that when people go, oh, that looks like the ocean. I'm like, yay, they get it. <laughs> Where in the past, I'd be like, I thought the ocean girl is just blue. Just <laughs> this red, orange, and yellow don't make it fire. You know, that kind of a thing. That was my reaction before. And now I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, you get it. <laughs> Speaking of reactions, what is one of the harshest criticisms or feedback that you've ever gotten? Oh, I know a funny one. But what is one of the hardest ones that was hard to receive? <laughs> the hardest ones? Yeah. Um, I was feeling real proud of myself with this body of work I did. <laughs> and so I started shopping it to galleries. And as an artist, there's, there's very, very few things that are, you know, as stressful as presenting your work to galleries. Mm. And so in hindsight, I might've reached, <laughs> it could have been a reach. 
you know, when you see like Dolly and Picasso and Got it. Chagall on the window, probably not my venue. Right. But I busted up in there anyway with I love my, your my work. And I was like, here's a disc of my work. And, and uh, you know, at that point, the average shell price was like $600. <laughs> so clearly this gallery is going to want my work when they're selling $100,000 prints of Picasso. <laughs> and the lady just looked at me and said that... Um, she su- suggested years of art school and then come back and see her. Oh, wow. She was really rude. That was hatred. But I needed her. So what did you take away from that then? What was the lesson for you? She was a bitch. <laughs> she, you're her, she could have said the same thing in a really kind way. She could have. She said, oh, it's cute, but keep working, girl. She could have yeah. said that and I would have taken said it. that, yeah. Yeah, but whatever. She, I needed to hear it because that checked me. And go, okay. What did, what did it check you on, though? Learning my venue, okay. uh, learning my space in the market, uh, okay. learning that if the gallery only sells master painters, there's probably a good chance they're not going to want my work <laughs> at this point in my life. <laughs> maybe when I'm dead, but maybe not. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was, a, that was a fun thing. But I think the harshest criticism always came from um, friends or family. Mm. You know, where you like, I'll text someone a picture of a painting. Yeah. They'll be like, oh, yeah, those colors are interesting. And you're like, oh, <laughs> that's not what I was going for, but thanks. <laughs> I've had that with music. Yeah. So things like that were. That's yeah, kind of cute. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can take, I can take the criticism on because not, I mean, I have abstract work. Not everyone's going to get it. Yeah. But you do have to have a thick skin. And I have one now. Yes. Yeah. I think anyone presenting any sort of creative art, whether it's music, painting, I don't photography, whatever it is that you do, you have to thick skin is something that has that comes. You, it has to be. Yeah. I mean, one thing I would love to share with artists, with creative people about, you know, drug use and about recovery and about being creative and about living in your creative space and enjoying your work is the view that I have of my sober work Mm. is so rewarding compared Mm. to the view I have of the work, not necessarily when I was using, but when my life was chaos, Mm. you know, and it's like, I look at that work and it's, it's just, it's missing things. It's mm-hmm. not technically sound. It's, it has so much more of a story to tell that I never could have gotten out of the canvas because I wasn't in a place mentally or as a creative person where I could truly in, sit back and, and try to maximize my own creativity mm. or clearly see my own voice. Mm. Like there, there are paintings that have been sold that I would almost buy back. <laughs> because you're like ooh, that's not good but whatever it's a part of the journey right it it is there are songs that i've released what's funny too to me is i have songs that i've done or people love and i'm like "Eh, i don't really like that one you know i have songs that i really love and then you know people are like eh, that one's okay i remember talking about that with ralphie it's like so it's like well the way that we see our art is totally different than it's actually ever really received. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, most, I can tell you if there's a painting that I hate, it's always almost the first one to sell. (laughs) It's so bizarre. I mean, I'll do a show and it's like, no one's going to buy this painting. It's going to live with me forever. And it sells first night, opening night. And it's not that I make it cheaper. You know, it's not like I, oh, it's ugly. It's going to be $4. You know, it's not that kind of story either. Like I, I price it along lines with my other work. And, and so it's always interesting. And it taught me a valuable lesson that, you know, even things that I create that I don't find beauty in, that there could be someone else that does. So yes. just let it live and let, let it be there. Yeah, I love that. What is it like preparing for a show? Like, like, so do you know how many pieces you're going to do for the show ahead of time or did they just come? Um, a lot of that, 
<laughs> this sounds so businessy, but <laughs> business. a lot of that is determined by the contract for the exhibition. So okay. some galleries will have a requirement of 25 paintings or 20. Okay. Um, I haven't been an exhibition artist in, let's see, since, nine, since eight, eight right? years. Yeah, eight years. I haven't done a public exhibition in eight years. So the show in Wisconsin is going to be the first time. And it's a small show. It's six paintings. Mm. Uh, but I'm just making sure that they're really meaningful paintings. And just real quick, I mean, you should probably tell why I'm doing a show in Wisconsin. Might seem random, the fact that I live in San Diego and <laughs> doing a show in... We are in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So it's a little town called Mineral Point, Wisconsin. And it's an artist community. And there's 2,600 people. And there's... In the whole town? Yep. Whole town has 2,600 people. And there, when I lived there, there were like 15 art galleries. And mm. now there's even more. Wow. So that was where I got sober. So that's where I got clean. That's where I was living and where I started recreating. And I met like, this town is one of the most magical places in the world. And mm. the people that are in it are just as magical. Mm. And so when I wanted to do something to celebrate them and to celebrate my 12th year of sobriety, then the natural choice was for me to go back and create and, um, you know, share that love with that little town that is just so much bigger than any big city I've ever been in. Like mm -hmm. I, I, I don't even know who I would be if I hadn't spent six years there uh, just being absolutely loved and supported and guided and, and, you know, it was just, it's just a magical place. Wow, I need to check this out. Yeah, it's like all limestone buildings. It's a little Cornish wow. settlement, and it's just beautiful. It's like being in a movie set. Wow. And the people that are there are, like, so awesome. You know, I met Sandy and Judy, the ladies who own the gallery, are like my second moms. Mm. You know, they're just really cool, and they're uh, beautiful people. And so I'm in this little town, and I meet this lady, and, Judy and you know she's sweet and beautiful and and then you start finding out things about her like you know she has done all this tile work all over the place and she's mm. this, you know did Bo Derek's swimming pool and <laughs> you know, like has a you know stuff all over Santa Barbara with her tile work and and it's like here she is in this little town just sharing gifts. That's so awesome. I definitely want to go. I wish your show was the weekend after that it is because it's August 4th, 5th? Yep, August 4th. Plugging, I'm plugging his show. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I'm in Vancouver, so. Yes, well, you know. That's so amazing, though. That is yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's cool. I love it. And so, I, uh, so then what happens after a show? I'm just curious about the whole process of a painter. So then you have this show. Yep. And miraculously say they all sell out that day, then that's yep. it. You don't, that's it. That's it, yeah. Because it's yeah. not like a song where then people can just, anywhere, anywhere can just continue to download it. That's it, you're gone. Yeah, what? I'm gone, that's it. The only thing that can and hopefully does come of it is sometimes you get commissioned for pieces okay. from a show like this. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's the opportunity. I imagine to that would happen uh, often because if you sell out, then they're like, "Well, I want something similar like this in my house in these colors." Yeah, absolutely. Or someone might see a painting and they go, eh, "I love it, but you know, purple's not my thing." So can you do something like this, but lean it towards greens or blues or yellows? Or, mm -hmm. You know, so the commission process is where I live now and what I love. Mm -hmm. I love, love, love commissioning work because. I can sit down with a client and go, what makes you happy? Mm. What makes you sad? Like, what's your favorite color? What's your least favorite color? What about my work or what about me makes you want to wake up every day and see something I created? Wow. So they have to think like if someone buys a painting, like they see it every day of their mm. life. And so that's such an honor to uh, have people want you in their creative space like that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And you do, I mean, because that's mainly your thing, your jam now, right? It's commission only. Commission only. Besides yeah. this, this exhibition for special. For special. Yep. This show is kind of a, you know, uh, 
just something I felt I needed to do Yeah, because um, I've been living in a space with my art where it's like I get commissioned, I get commissioned, I get commissioned, I commission paintings. And, and I love that. And it's my preferred venue. But one thing I didn't realize I missed was just going in my studio and painting whatever I wanted to paint, mm. you know, and for this show, these six paintings are just what I wanted to paint. Like there's no one's, I don't know where it's going. I don't know what space it's going to live in. I don't know who's going to own it. I don't know, you know, if, if they would have preferred it not have one section look like one. Like, I just don't <laughs> know any of that. It's just what I want. So it's six paintings just for me. Mm, I love that. That's good. So there are plans and I'm going to say this in public. So I have Uh-oh. to go we got a we got a special shout out drop. What's happening now? Well, there's there's plans. I'm going to start working on doing another much larger exhibition of my work for the celebration of my 15th year of sobriety. Oh. So I have three years to create it and to set up the gallery network and and figure out who wants to do the exhibition and what it's going to look like. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of a something I've been conceptualizing and keeping to myself that I feel like I need to say. Yeah. So maybe it starts. Would you pick the syringes up for one of those paintings? Do you think again, or do you think that that's done? That's done. The yeah. story has been told. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. I can go get blood drawn tomorrow, girl. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, I, I don't know that I would revisit the syringes. No, um, I'm, just, I'm just curious after 15 years, like if there was, you know, it's kind of like, you know, somebody releases a song and then 15 years later they remix it or remaster it. You know, that's what I'm just curious about if it's... Yeah, so it kind of in that same vein, there are three collections of my work that I've never painted sober. Mm. And so I've, if I was going to revisit something, it would be those. Got it. To see how I could make them different mm. or how they would feel from a sober perspective. Mm. yeah so that would probably be the only thing i'd revisit the syringe the new a new use for syringes wore me out like (laughs) well emotionally yeah it was a lot creative it was a lot yeah 79 y'all 79 79 paintings and they all sold but the one that clay my husband sold (laughs) <laughs> he didn't steal it really. That's that's that I love that one. Yeah. I you picked were, it up from paint over it. Well, yeah, because it didn't sell in that life, so maybe it needed a new life. No, no. I'm glad that me and Clay both said negative. Yeah, Clay was like, if you even touch that painting, it's going down. Yeah. So you know when the husband speaks, she listens. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what right. do you think, through, through all of this, what do you think one of your most valuable lessons in kind of, you know, remixing yourself in a sense has been and your art? That I'm strong enough mm. and that I'm worth it. Mm. You know, I, 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 a lot of my insecurities and things in life came from not valuing myself um, as a person, as an artist as a, a son, as a brother, you know, I, I, I didn't trust in the fact that what I had to give the world was worthy of doing it right. Mm. And I think once I started to feel more self-worth and more self-awareness and feel like I was not only just alive, but I was thriving and I was living, mm. um, it turned a page for me. And so it's, I, I just encourage anyone who's struggling to um, get your help. And I I am here and available and very reachable. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, me, I, if you sit next to me long enough, you'll know everything about my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. And talking and talking. Yeah. I think learning to share, like, you know, it's, Stop, um, stop having so many secrets. Yeah. There's no shame in the, there's no, let it out. Shame up and out. That's what we always say. Shame up and out. Yeah. Easier to talk about it. Yeah. And be creative, do stuff, 
I, I drives me crazy when people say to me, oh, I don't have a creative bone in my body. Right. I, I could never paint anything. That's what people say every, oh, it is. I have 80% of people in CIJ. The first week we talk about creativity and they all say that I'm not creative. I'm not creative. Yeah. I'm like, I can't even yeah, draw a stick person. Oh, just stop it. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's why like people ask me sometimes to teach painting classes mm. and I'm like children only. Yeah, that we don't have any inhibitions. They they just paint. They just create. I did this uh, class one time at the Shake Rag Living Art Center, which is a uh, wonderful uh, non for profit school in Mineral Point that teaches art. Mm. And this little <laughs> these it was like right in the Harry Potter fit craze. So all these girls were painting. I love Harry Potter. I love Harry. Potter. <laughs> and there was this kid there, this boy that was painting, and he's like, I love. And he started to put an M, and I thought he was going to put mom, mm. but he wrote me. Aww. <laughs> and I was like, I clearly need to adopt this child like, <laughs> him in my life. So when his mom came to pick him up, I was like, love, love, love him. And the mm. fact that he painted a painting that said, I love me. That's so and good. At that age, he was able to just be confident enough to celebrate that. There's nothing wrong with a little self-love. No, we need more of it. More self-love. More self-love, absolutely. Yeah. And some of that, I mean, one way to, to, cre- to do that is to do creative projects. That's why I, I love that these whole things have come about now, you know, the whole like paint and wine things. And, yeah. Because at least it's getting people to do different things and to create mediums and stuff. They have one here um, that I found. I was looking for little dates for Sway and I, and they have one where it's like a plant night. So you can go and you build plants and little pots and all that, you know, you have <laughs> wine and you're creating like plants. And I'm like, I need that. Cause I kill plants all the time. I, I need better. I need supervision. <laughs> so it's like succulent Saturday. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds sexy. Yes. You can have, we can create succulents together and you can have wine. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Now, what's funny is there's like I have friends on Facebook who have admitted to me that when they post their painting mm. from a wine night, that they hide <laughs> me from it. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm gonna judge them. Like that's, that's awesome. terrible. <laughs> so I'm like, no, show me, send me pictures. <laughs> so then they text them to me, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> no, just kidding. That's good. <laughs> So we know, obviously, music has been back into your world. Yay! Of course. So what is some, uh, like, what is one, a power anthem for you that you go to? Like, if you're feeling, if you're feeling down and out and you've got trouble on your mind. Oh, man, there's. What what is. I I think recent right now is like anything. There's an artist called Two Feet. Oh, you showed me two feet. Oh, and anything by him, like, or I can clean house. There's some moody, some darkness in there. But you and I connect on that level. Yeah. We, we like, I love you banks. Know, you want to just like cut your wrist and lay on the floor and just be like, ah. Totally, yeah. Like banks <laughs> is another one. Yeah. You know, there's this song right now. I, it's, I don't even think it's new. There's an artist called King Princess. Okay. It's 1950. Okay. Love, 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 love. All right, I'll have to peep it. Anything to... by Andrew Bayer. That's my boo. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, and Juna, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but him in particular. Love you. That's your jam. Mm-hmm. All in all, all said and done, looking yeah. back on your whole entire life, everything, do you want people to know Ben Brummerhoff as? That I was happy. And I was genuine and that I was caring Mm. um, that I left the world in at least a somewhat better place than I got it, Mm. that I contributed, that I participated, um, that I loved fully and, and that I just did the best I could. Oh, I love that. And I say yes to all of that because you (laughs) do all of that to me and in my world. You, you, yeah. Do you want me real quick to read you this blog post that was to my mom? Oh, yeah, go for it. Because I, I, I will like to make her cry all the time. So this definitely makes her cry. So mm-hmm. hearing me read it again. Inside, then. We'll do that. Dark 
So it says, um, I would like to release you from your guilt and thank you for never giving up on me. I want you to understand my choices had nothing to do with you. I didn't care how you felt and I didn't even think of you as I pushed drugs into my veins. You were not a second thought or even a third thought for that matter. My addiction was about me. There was no room for you or anyone else in my addiction. Considering your feelings would have been like shooting water in my veins. You're my mom and I didn't care how my drug use made you feel. I knew it hurt you and I still did it. I did it because it was about my life's journey and me. It was my chosen path to dealing with pain in my life. I was not dealing with pain inflicted by you. So how could it be about you? You might ask, what could you have done? The simple answer is nothing. You did what was expected of you. You did what most mothers don't have the strength to do. You stood back and you let me use, you let me live, and you let me control my own destiny. And most importantly, you loved me, the real me, the addict in me, and I never questioned your love. Mm. You are one of the lucky moms. I have lived to write my story. I have chosen to be the cause of my life and not the effect of it. I'm going to live through my addiction in spite of what my daily cravings tell me. It took the death of Elisa for me to start thinking about you. And after her death and seeing the pain and sadness that is still in your eyes today, I started thinking about you. I couldn't let my addiction, my selfless need for a higher state of consciousness to be the cause of more pain in your eyes. I could not selfishly usher you to the gravesite of another one of your children. If I am to die, let it not be because I never considered your feelings and how my actions affect your life. You're my mom and I love you. Your heart is now safe from my inevitable self-destruction. Wow. Oh my God. What is that? What is that like to read that now? It's, it's, uh, I'm proud of it. Mm. I'm proud that I can admit it and that I can talk about it and I can share it and I can own it and that I can um, celebrate her. You know, she raised four kids by herself mm. and it wasn't easy. And we were not easy. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. So it makes me proud of her and me and, and the growth that came, that the, the journey that led me to be able to even write that. Wow. And what do you have to say for someone who's listening now that might be really struggling or uh, uh, with, with either fully facing that they are an addict or maybe in and out of being an addict? Um, find your safe place. Find your safe person. Um, find someone to talk to. Get help. Mm-hmm. There are tons of resources uh, available to people who are struggling with addiction. Um, you know, I think you have to be prepared to, to make some hard choices and to figure out what you want in your life, what's going to make you happy, what's going to bring you joy, what's going to make you proud of yourself, mm-hmm. what's going to make you feel better about yourself. Um, you know, I, I didn't feel whole not because I quit doing, not because I was an addict or not because I was doing drugs. I didn't feel whole because I wasn't being my best me. Mm. You know, it's like being a drug addict was just secondary to the fact that I was making terrible choices in my life. I was doing terrible things in my life. So all of those things together made me not love or enjoy me. So what I challenge someone who's questioning all of that is what are you willing to do to make you love you? Mm. Take everyone else out of the equation and just live in a selfish spot for a hot moment and figure out what is it going to take for you to fully engage and love yourself and then do it. And if you need help, you know, hit me up on social media, my website, Facebook, Instagram, wherever, reach out. I'll I'll link everything up in the show. I will offer um, at least, if nothing else, a a supportive voice to help you reach uh, your, your potential and be the best you. I love it. Noelle, you are a living inspiration. You make amazing art. You are an older brother to me on levels that I can't even touch upon. I mean, you, you, you make my world better every day. 
Oh, I feel the same about you. And I, I love you a lot. A lot of people. Oh, thanks. I, I, you know, it's really sweet because um, I, I get these random texts from Sway or from my dad, you know, because yeah. y'all have kind of started y'all's own relationship. Oh my God, can we talk about your dad? Oh. <laughs> And they both, you know, like, you know, Sway, you know, I remember her just being like, God, he's like the sweetest soul, you know, like, and it's, it's, so it's beautiful to hear someone else see you the way that I see you though, you know, and, and in terms of my dad, for y'all that are listening. So my dad has, he loves to paint, but his, his mind gets in his way, you know, he like, is an artist and he's, he's a fabulous and, and he, he goes to the canvas and he steps away from the canvas and he goes and he steps away. And Ben and him have gotten a lot closer and Ben is helping my dad with his art. And, and since that, I have noticed, you know, just my dad's light kind of coming back again. You know, it's like because he's creating again. And I know how much that is important for all of us to do something that lights us up, what, no matter what it is. Yeah. And so... To see that is just really beautiful. And I'm just so, I'm just so appreciative of that, you know, because I know that that's, I've tried to get that out of him, but like, I'm his daughter. You don't listen to me. You know, it's like him telling me advice. I ain't gonna listen to him. Right. Like, yeah. You, you know, you've gotten through to him. So like that is, um, it's beautiful. And, and it was like for that. instant love. Like <laughs> the minute I laid eyes on your dad, I just knew that he would be a special person in my life. And he helps me with my art. It's a two-way street. I mean, we trade pictures of paintings that we're both working on. And you probably talk to my dad now more than I talk. <laughs> yeah, we change. We send each other pictures of art and and inspire each each other. Yeah, yeah. The, your dad is amazing. I love him. Yeah, and he's a very talented artist. He's amazing. Yeah. So Ben is going to be in. Madison, Wisconsin, in a couple of weeks for his show. Not Madison, Mineral, Mineral Point. Mineral Point, Wisconsin. Yep. Um, and then Long Branch Gallery. Long Branch Gallery. And you and you can send me that so I can link all of that in the show notes. Sure. As well. Yes. And he's also, Little Birdie has told me, he's going to be in my CIJ class in September. So I am. Oh, my God, Ben, stay at CIJ. Yes. This is going to be amazing. I can't so, wait. I'm so excited. Yeah. So if maybe any other, we have one other painter that is going to be in. So we know I have two painters. So we see maybe, maybe some other painters will jump in. We get a little painter mix. Up oh, there. and the other gift you gave me is Ash. Like, <gasps> oh, yes. well, Ash, that's a whole, that's a whole other show. We'd have to get the three of yeah. you, Tom and Stoofy and me. All I can say is he, I love that he talks to me via video. <laughs> it's always a production. <laughs> so, yeah. So, two beautiful people you brought into my life and just adds to the beauty that you bring to my life. And I love you. Oh, crying out. I love you. All righty, honey. I love you. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay. Talk to you later. So, that's it for this episode. I hope you found something inspiring about our conversation. Perhaps you found something that you really want to share. Head over to the Facebook group. It's Remix Your World Insiders and let us know. I will make sure I tag Ben and all of his information in the show notes. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you again soon. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Take care. Come on, come on, come on, come on. So for those of you who follow me musically and you've been wondering what's going on and why I've been so quiet and what I've been working on, well, it's finally time to let everyone know. The Peninsula Chicago opened a new rooftop lounge called Z-Bar, and I've taken on the role as music curator. The sound of Z-Bar is inspired by international travelers, the house music roots of Chicago, and a modern mix of electronic lounge music that is as sophisticated as the cocktails served personally my favorite is the z from afternoons and happy hours laced with bossa nova soul electro swing and disco to late night vibes of ethnic electronica deep and melodic house 
Whether you live in Chicago or are passing through, come and enjoy the handcrafted cocktails and indulge in exotic cuisine. Featuring gorgeous views of the city, Z-Bar's sexy, sophisticated, and global vibes are carefully curated to inspire your inner nomad and steep you in luxurious electro-zen bliss. So wherever you are on your journey, make sure you pass through this immaculately crafted way station where inspired libations and unique vibrations will help you feel both right at home and a whole world away. Cheers to new chapters and rooftop magic, and I'll see you in Chicago. Chicago. 